We are in the Sermon on the Mount. We're doing a a series called Under Construction with the tagline, we're all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? We're all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? And so uh, we're, we're going real slow through the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most famous pieces of scripture uh, that there is. And even if you're not familiar with the you know, churchy word of Sermon on the Mount, you probably have heard different uh, parts of the Sermon on the Mount uh, throughout the years. It's in pop culture. It's quoted in songs all the time. They probably don't even know where they're getting it from. But it's, uh, it's this really, really, really vital part of Scripture. In fact, if you took away the rest of the Bible, all the Old Testament, all the rest of the New Testament, but you had these three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, you would still have a complete theology of who Jesus is and how it all works. It's that pivotal. The only other scripture that comes close to this is John 3.16. Right? Uh, and I personally think you should read 17 and 18 with it. We, we get, a, get a skewed version of that. But um, So Sermon on the Mount is, is so vitally important. And so for our homework for the next, this is going, we're going to be in this series until Thanksgiving. I mapped it out this week. Uh, we're going to be in this series till Thanksgiving. So our homework every week for this whole series, is to read the complete Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, once a week. Now, you know, don't hurt yourself on that huge homework assignment, okay? But it's just so pivotal, it can change the way in which you, you think about things. It deals with incredibly, intensely practical stuff. Like today, we're going to talk about anger management, right? I'm the only one in this room that has ever lost their temper, correct? Like, so I'm just going to talk to myself. You're, you are more than welcome to listen in on my self-talk today, okay? Uh, because I would hate to blame any of you for ever getting angry uh, with anything else. But that's what we're going to talk about today. And there's little things like, you know, having a great marriage and uh, judging people and things like that. You know, stuff that, no, that doesn't apply to anybody in the room. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go pretty slowly through that. Um, and I'm very excited about it. Um, so we are all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? We are doing something uh, different this season in life groups. We have a unique opportunity. It's kind of a test run. We've never done this before. Um, and I'm very, very, very excited about the Betty and Roger Shub. Could you raise your hand for me real quick? Back here. Fresh in from uh, Galveston, Texas. Uh, and Alaska. World travelers, the Shubes. And, uh, but they're going, they have taken the challenge of trying to make sense of my messages and turning it into life group curriculum. Okay, so bless them and keep them, Lord. Uh, but they're, so we're, I'm sending them my notes. We're talking about it. So on Wednesdays at 7 at their house in life group, they're going to talk about uh, whatever topic I talked about on Sunday morning. So uh, Kevin is going to get the messages up online faster. So if you happen to miss the message, it doesn't mean like, well, I'm going to be totally lost at Life Group or whatever. They'll be up probably Sunday afternoon, so you can download those and and stay up to date with that. But they're going to try to do that. We're real excited about this new avenue of of studying together. And so we're going to go real slow through the Sermon on the Mount. They're not going to cover every topic because uh, Life Groups don't last until Thanksgiving, and we've already started. So you know, don't have a panic attack over that. We realize you're not going to cover everything in there, um, but we're going we're gonna to try. And so if you're interested in that group, you can sign up or any of the other life groups that we have uh, available. You can sign up at the table back there. Um, if you'd like to meet the Shubes or talk to them about it, um, please do that after the service. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it that was said to people long ago, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, underline Raka. This is your first word of the day. Raka means empty-headed one. So you now have a new insult, but Jesus is really saying, don't do this. But anyway, you have a new thing in your vocabulary to say, Raka. I can see this happening uh, on your drive on 55 in your commute. Uh, Raka, Raka, Raka is you empty-headed one. So there's that. Don't call your brother or sister that, people. I mean, Jesus said it right there. I mean, you can quote to your kids. Jesus said, don't, don't call your brother an idiot, because that's what he's saying right here. Uh, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Underline fires of hell. Fires of hell. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So what you're saying to me, Jared, is when I start screaming at my brother and sister and telling them they're stupid, is I'm in danger of the fire of hell. I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying that. So we have to really be concerned with the attitude in which we're bringing to these conversations with our siblings. Now, as an only child, I'm totally going to free pass on this. It's okay, right? However, I've been a father of twins for eight years. And I'm noticing dynamics that they don't always get along. Um, I, this is new. I look at Kelly. I'm like, why are they doing this? He's like, because they're brother and sister. But why are they doing this? Uh, so, like, why does he always have to be touching? Like, why? Why is that a thing? I don't understand. Anyway, sorry. Uh, it'll be a future sermon. But anyone who looks, who's, who says Raka or you're a fool or you're an empty headed one or any of these things, you're in danger of the fire of hell. That's exciting to me. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled, underline reconciled, to them. Then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So all of these are, are lumped into this, this setting about teaching about anger. Now, anger is uh, one of these things that we all feel in some way. Jesus got angry. It's not like all anger is, is uh, unholy or whatever. Jesus got really upset. Uh, he went into the temple and started basically wrecking the place because there was money changing happening in, in the temple. There is a, such a thing as righteous indignation, that you have a reason to be mad and there's a, a purpose for it. But there's oftentimes the, the anger that we feel is about destroying personal relationship. It's either us trying to control the relationship, us not, be, not addressing a slight that we've had in the relationship, or trying to manipulate a relationship. Anger comes from all those things. Those aren't righteous. Those aren't holy kind of, of anger. Those are manipulative uh, techniques that we unfortunately employ. And so um, each week in this under construction, I'm trying to come up with some sort of object lesson about construction to kind of help us uh, grasp. The, the topic. And so today I'm going to burn something here in church without hopefully burning down the church. So the ancient, uh, ancient Japanese technique of preserving wood is, I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to, but um, they burn the wood. And when you burn the wood, you do a couple things. 
the oldest uh, wooden structure that's still standing in the world, it was built in 711 AD in Japan. It's some sort of temple. And this, uh, if you're sitting on the front row, it's starting to smell pretty good in in here. Um, And so they they built this temple in 711, and it's still standing because they did it with this technique. Burning wood. If you watch HGTV, uh, they will do this every once in a while for it. Now, that's really cool. The problem is these people with this burnt wood in their houses, that's going to go out of style in like five years. And you know what the problem with that is? You can't paint this. You can't stain it. Do you know how you're going to have to fix it? You're going to sand the holy baloney out of it. Or you guys are really excitable that I'm going to burn this place down. Um, you got to sand the holy baloney out of it, or you just got to rip it away. And so I have burnt this. And some of those techniques, see, you see it start take, take, oh, it looks pretty. If you go downstairs to our youth room, I did this real lightly with uh, this pallet wood's not, if it's got a lot of sap in it, it gets you these really cool marbled flares. Um, but if you do this real lightly, you can get different things. Or the, the pallet wall downstairs, I did this to some of the wood to get a really cool texture feel. You see how simple that is? But now I've burned it. I've changed the structure of this. It works the best with pine or cedar, which is a type of pine, I guess. But what it's doing and why it preserves the wood is because it's burning the chemicals that uh, promote rot. There's a chemical reaction happening on the edges of this wood that's changing this from a structure that is organic and, and will, uh, will rot easily to one that will not rot. Bugs don't want to eat burnt things. It also uh, becomes weatherproof because it's getting harder. So a couple of things have happened here. There. A couple of things are going on. I'm going to do that so it doesn't flip. Um, to this wood. It's got a lot of heat in it. It's been releasing energy. Anger, when we step into losing our temper, when we step into anger, we release a lot of energy. You ever been so mad and you dealt with something and you're exhausted afterwards? Like you're just, you're like shaking and you just, oh my goodness. That's what we're doing, right? This is, this is anger. Anger lived out here and it's, 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 wood is an energy source ready to explode. And when we've added a temper to it, we just, and fire comes out. This is us when we give in to anger. Second thing I've created is I've created a mess, right? If you touch this, if I rubbed it against my clothes, I would ruin my shirt. I'd have charcoal everywhere. It'd be dirty and messy and all kinds of nastiness all over the place. Trust me, I, I know that from practical experience, but um, I've made a mess. And what happens when we lose our temper and we get angry and we step into that, we create relationship messes. And some of us create actual messes. Right? Anybody a thrower? You don't have to, don't raise your hand to this. I, uh, I, I, I used to have a really, really hard time controlling my temper uh, in high school and college. And um, I've actually, I've been to counseling for my issues with anger. And um, one of the best decisions I ever made. I, I wish I didn't lose my temper before that to know that I needed to go to counseling. But those are regrets and you got to move on from them, right? Um, but I've, I've been to counseling for anger stuff. And uh, I put my hand through a wall because I couldn't find a contact. 
Sounds like a good t- cause and effect, right? Can't find a contact, so what's the smart thing to do is put your hand through a wall. Idiot. Uh, so anyway, Raka over here, empty-headed one. Uh, so uh, that's what's going What I did, um, that's not good. Created a mess. Created a drywall mess, a physical mess. Some of us create emotional in, uh, messes. Some of us cause uh, huge messes with the people that we love, that we don't want to create messes with you, but we've lost our temper, and now we've blown stuff up, and things have gone flying in the emotional and in the physical. And the third thing I've done, I've made it harder. I've made it, it's only useful for this purpose now. I've created, made it harder. And so what's going on with this is uh, I've got to now strip it if I want to use the wood underneath it. And I used a real cheap piece of wood today because I didn't care if I, uh, if I ruined it. But what I've done is I've changed the chemical uh, compound of that top layer. And I've made it harder. So it can only be used for this one purpose. And when we use anger, sometimes it's a good use of anger. We've talked about that. But know this. When you, once, you get that card once. When you blow up over that thing, you, you did it once. Even if you change your mind later, everyone around you feels like you have that stance. If I say, I hate the Chicago Bulls. They're the dumbest thing ever. And I, I, I speak words, hurtful words, and I don't mean them. right? I speak, speak this out loud. Everyone around me in that room at that moment is going, oh, whoa, there's this huge thing. He is proclaiming his hate of that, and that's the default. Now, I could see the light and change my, my ways and change my opinions later, but people's preconceived notion, the way they already think about me, because I've exploded, I'm stuck this way. Now, I choose something silly like the Chicago Bulls to say that with, but let's talk about if you're talking about a person. You're talking about Aunt Marjorie because she said all these weird things to you, and you blew up at, at Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know. what Whatever happened. You, you said something about someone's friend or their boyfriend or uh, the decisions they're making or whatever, but now Dad hates me. Now Dad looks at me this way. Now Dad thinks I'm making all these choices. Now Mom is this way. Now Aunt Susie's this way. What, whatever. We've made it. We've, we've hardened ourselves. To, in our own hearts, and we've hardened ourselves and crystallized it in other people's lives. Does this make sense? That's what anger does. All right, we're done playing with fire today. <clears throat> I know. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus talking about anger, I want you guys to remember who is he talking about? Who is he talking to? We talked a lot about this last week, and this is really, really important when you think about the Sermon on the Mount. I think about the Bible, and I think about the people he has, he has uh, written stuff to and, and wrote stuff to, that I think of these high-fluting, impactful leaders who are controlling everything. Like, that's who I would write stuff to if I wanted to get things changed. Jesus doesn't do that. He talks to the, the everyday man all the time. The Sermon on the Mount is being preached to the everyday man, the guy who's going to the work, the guy who's got the junkie boss. The guy who's, who's struggling just to make ends meet. The, the, the guy who's got family issues. Because think about this. Think about this. You think you've got family issues? The, every home was a multi-generational home. Every home. So you would live with your brother and sister and their parents, and you'd live with their brother and sister and their kids, and maybe even their, like, oi. Right? You think about it. Think about the tension that we can't get through Christmas without blowing up at each other. Well, what every day you're with them. Yay. You thought Clark Griswold had some issues. You guys, every, every day would be this way. And so he's speaking, okay, we're talking about anger. And so when you call your brother or sister a fool, he's talking about the person who's living in the room next to you that you can't, that, oh, you know, that's who he's talking to. 
And so he's speaking right to their hearts, right to their, their situations, because none of you have any family drama, right? None of you have any family drama. None of you have weird bosses. Don't say anything. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so none of you have weird bosses that make your life a little hard. None of you have issues that make you cringe. Uh, these people lived under a very oppressive government that did not care about the, the little guy and only elevated the rich. We don't have any issues with our government. We're, everything's perfect there, right? So Jesus is talking to the every man then, and he's talking to the every man now. And he's talking about these anger issues, and everybody's going, mm-hmm, I got this. So I've got three different aspects I think Jesus is speaking into um, in this pricope. That's a fun word to say. It sounds like a Pokemon character. Pricope. Uh, pricope, pricope, pricope. Uh, it is a small teaching inside a larger teaching, okay? So when Jesus is talking about anger and when he's talking about judgment, those are two different pricopes. And so inside this, you... You didn't need that. That was for free. Um, but we got, we got a pricope here that we're going to talk about. The first one is found in verse 21. And it's the aspect of control. Control ignites anger. This is probably one of the biggest con- constants that, that, that causes anger issues. It's my, my trigger is a control issue. Um, maybe you would know if what, what a control ignites anger by this simple thing. If you're driving down 55 at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning and you're going, ah, screaming at the steering wheel, you have a control issue. That's control anger, okay? Now you're like, oh, that's, that's what that means. Because you can't control the people around you and you want to pull a Moses and pull this over at sea. Like, I want to go. I'm the only person that's important. Why are you pulling in front of me? Go away. Um, I've, nah, nah, nah. Uh, control ignites anger. A commute would not be for me. That would not be a, a good spiritual place for Jared Hauser to be in. All right? um, but control ignites anger. You have heard it said that people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says brother or sister, racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so what is he saying here? When you can't control, like a murder is actually a huge act of anger control, Right? I can't control you. I can't make you do what I want. I can't make you shut up. I can't make you not do these things. So I am going to remove you from this earth. That is a control issue. But he is breaking that down farther and saying, when you're yelling at your brother or sister, and this is everyone, right? Your neighbor, the person next to you, whatever. When you are calling them a fool and stupid and empty-headed, you're trying to control them so they think like you, so that they would agree with you. And this causes a problem. And if that's where your anger is boiling out of, you're in danger of the fire of hell. Now, immediately for us, we think of a spiritual realm. Oh, no, I'm going to lose my salvation. God's going to throw me in hell because I, I get angry. How can I have any hope whatsoever? Well, while hell is a real eternal, like real spiritual place, Jesus, when he uses this term, he's using the word Gehenna. In the word, you can write this down. It's G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Gehenna. Hina, which means Valley of Hina. Where it's at is outside of Jerusalem. And what happened in the Valley of Gehenna was the sacrificing of infants and people to the god Molech. 
And so when Jerusalem was under pagan control, this horrendous, horrendous, horrendous practice of sacrificing babies was happening. And so Jesus is using, and everyone knew, this is a scar on the land. This is like, that's where that used to happen, right? That would be like going to and having Auschwitz outside your, your, your town and going, that's the place. Okay, just, are we tracking here? That's the place that the nastiness happens. And so that is as far away, that's the desolation, that's as far away from God as we possibly, possibly can get. And so what people started doing at this Valley of Gehenna where these sacrifices were happening is taking their trash there because no one's going to buy it. No one's going to use it as a farm. No one's going to try to reclaim it. You're like, oh, I'm going to reclaim the land. No, just stay away. That's the nasty place. That's where the... Okay? Um, And so what they did is start jumping the trash there. Then people would go out and light fires to get rid of the trash because it would start to stink. And so there's always these constant little fires going on. And then dogs would go in there and get the scraps out. And so when they would fight over the scraps, it was where the weeping and the gnashing of teeth comes in. That's the sound. If you've ever heard two dogs fighting over a bone <laughs> with their teeth and, and all this stuff, that's what uh, Jesus is using that imagery. Everyone who'd been to Jerusalem knew where the Valley of Gehenna was. Everyone had, had seen it. And it's, it's coming into their head and like that is as far away from God as we possibly can get. Does that make sense? And so when Jesus is trying to describe what hell's like, he uses the imagery of the Valley of Gehenna. This is what it's like. What hell is, is as far away from God and what his love and his care as you possibly can get, that's what hell is. But when you submit and, and are controlled by anger, you're in danger of going to the place where God isn't. And so that should send a huge Flashing warning signal to all of us who struggle with anger. Is that this time, when I, when I give into my anger, when I give into my control stuff, when I want people to say and do the things that I want them to do, and it makes me so mad when they don't, I'm going against this beautiful God-given gift of free will. I'm going against all the things of relationship that God is trying to instill into us. I am, I'm throwing out all the rest of the love and the respect and the mercy and the forgiveness that God is, is trying to impart into his people. I'm throwing all that out because I want people to do what I want them to do. And when I do that, I'm in danger of the fire of hell. Does this make sense? This is a big, different, big concept. It's one of the only times that Jesus actually is talking about hell is when he's talking about controlling our tempers. Second thing, I want to give you some tools maybe um, to deal with this, this stuff. <clears throat> now, I can't go. I don't have times. We don't have the eight hours or whatever to talk about anger issues completely and thoroughly and, and, and whatnot. But maybe some questions. If you're struggling with these control things, often when I'm, I'm, my fuse gets shorter is when there's more things in my life that I can't control. I have some sort of threshold. I have no idea where it is, and sometimes I don't know when I'm going to hit it. Other times I can actually feel in my body, I'm getting close to my control th- threshold. I've got to remove myself from some situations. I've got to solve some issues so that fuse can get longer. Like that, that's just how I'm built. And so I need to step back, slow down, and go, why am I so mad? Why am I, I triggering? Why did I just yell at my son? I have no idea. He wanted to play Legos. Who cares? But if I step on him one more time, right? So I can't. 
what, what, what's, what's causing these issues? Okay, it's because of the, these things. And I got to do a self-reflective, and I go through a checklist. Is it because of money? Oftentimes, my anger is, is set off because I got 18 bills, and I only got enough money for one of them, right? So um, that, that, that starts, to, starts to, to deal with it. Maybe I need to address that. I need to figure out, get control, uh, and, and understand those parts. Why am I getting so mad? How do I lengthen my fuse? What do I need to let go? Maybe I'm trying to control something that it's not really even worth controlling. And those are some hard choices, right? Because we want to have our hands in everything. We want everything to go the way we want it to go. And like, okay, that one don't care about. This one not really making the list. What I care about is these. These are the important things. And if I, this, this is where I'm going to keep my attention. And I have to do that. I keep on getting wider until I start to feel myself kind of spinning out of control. And then, 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 then. Okay, now we're okay again. So what strategies can you use to lengthen your fuse? Maybe your strategies are different than my strategies, and that's totally fine. And maybe you go, Jared, I have no concept on how to get a hold of that. And I would urge you to go get professional help in that. Find a Christian counselor that can help you in that. And there is, that is, could be one of the best moves you ever make in your life. The second thing that Jesus speaks into is complacency fosters anger. Complacency fosters anger. Anger. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This idea of being reconciled. Now, to me, I think this is the idea. I'm just going to, you know, we've got an issue, but I'm just going to live my life. I'm just going to go around. I'm just going to live my life. I'm just going to kind of ignore it. I'm going to leave it there, and we're just going to let it sit. And some of us, this is the way in which we deal with some anger issues. We just like, oh, we're going to deal with it. Just let it sit there. Just let it, let it be. But the problem that happens there is it starts to percolate. Like um, yesterday, this happened yesterday. I went to clean um, some slip and slides. We we're having some slip and slides in the backyard of our house yesterday because September's the new July. Surprised you didn't know. And uh, so we're going to get some slip and slides out. Unbeknownst, ooh, fun word, unbeknownst to me, there was um, a leak in the lid of the container that was holding the slip and slides. So it hit about eight inches of water in it, and who knows how long. That's funky. Uh, and so I dumped that out, and I sprayed it off, and I'm cleaning things off, and is is um, is mm, it was good. But I give you that visual to think about, this is what happens when we start sweeping our anger under the rug. When we start sweeping things that maybe other people have wronged us or we've wronged them, we just sweep it under the rug. It just starts to get get funky, get worse. It doesn't, you know, ignoring a problem never actually makes the problem better. Newsflash. It doesn't go away. We try to ignore splinters. We try to ignore broken things. We try to ignore that, oh, well, you know what? Just turn the radio up louder in our car when it's broken. Just pull to the left when it's one. When the, that's just a flat tire. It's cool. Just pull to the left. We'll get there. Push on the accelerator harder, right? But things, things, we do this all the time. But what Jesus says is, listen, don't let it get out of hand. Go. Deal with the issue. If they've wronged you, if you've wronged them, go and say, Isaiah, I'm sorry. Deal with it. 
Complacency fosters anger because if you let it foster, if you let it go, if you let it build up, if you let it just get worse, all of a sudden now you got a real problem. Now you have a, a Mount Vesuvius type issue. You, we're going to blow up and now we're, we, there's nothing we can do to handle it. But if I would have gone quickly and said, you know what? I know we got some issues. I know we got some stuff and I don't want to have stuff. Are we okay? Are we good? Maybe it was done to you, and, and you just need to say, you know what? This stuff happened. I'm okay. Let's just, we're, we're good. I just want you to know that we're good. Then that always, that's hard. When you were the one wronged, and you just be like, we're okay. And then sometimes, you can't control. Now, we go back to the control issue. So, well, I'm care for okay. I, I tried to reconcile. I'm good. I'm going to go back to my thing at the altar. We're going to be all right. And the final one is this. Contempt brings, breeds anger. If you, you are not willing to confront the issues you have, <coughs> oh, darn it. Can't read my own handwriting. Never mind. Uh, contempt breeds anger. This is, uh, oh, this is what I was going to say. That's what that was supposed to be. Jimmy Bell who leads worship for us. He's not here this today. Daniel's here, which is awesome for him to be here today. Um, but Jimmy and I have been working together. I think we're on our ninth year together. It's been a rocky relationship. But we've been together for about nine years, uh, him leading worship for me in some capacity or another. And um, I said one of the most hurtful, stupid things I ever could say to him about three weeks into our relationship. I didn't know him yet. Like, we weren't even Facebook official as friends yet. Like, I, I didn't know him, and I didn't even know what I said was that offensive until someone let me know that that was offensive. And I was like, oops, I'm sure I'm the only one that says offensive things without really thinking it through all the time, right? That's just a Jared. I got a monopoly on that. Um, but I said something just totally out of line, totally, oh, it was terrible. And so someone told me about five minutes after I said it that you, you, you're an idiot and you should get, you, you're a raka and you need to get your foot out of your mouth. And so what I did, um, I couldn't sleep that night. I was like, ah, if I would have known Jimmy's sleep patterns, I could have called him at two o'clock in the morning and it'd been totally fine. Um, but I didn't know him that well yet. And so I called him the next morning and I said, I need to apologize to you, blah, 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 and, and deal with the situation. And he was like, thank you. Okay. And I don't know if I wouldn't have dealt with the situation the day after or a day or two after, after that. What could have changed in that? That was three weeks into a nine-year-long relationship. What would have changed? We, yeah, I guarantee you he wouldn't have been flying uh, up from Georgia to, uh, to Chicago to help uh, lead worship in this church. That wouldn't have, uh, the personal sacrifice he, he does for those things, that, that wouldn't have been happening. The years and years and years of serving together wouldn't have been happening. And I think that, and I go, wow. I'm glad I didn't take the easy way out on that. I ate the crow. I removed the foot from my mouth. I said, I'm sorry. And I put it in his court. You can forgive me or not forgive me, but I know that I've got to try to find reconciliation. And for a lot of us in the different relationships that we have in our life, we just have to say, you know what? My pride's not worth ruining this relationship. I'm sorry. And I hope you can forgive me. We need to do it quickly. Because lots of times we wait and we wait until it's going to be publicly exposed or it's, we see a big problem out of it. Why do we wait so long? It's way bigger of an inconvenience three months afterwards than it was the day after. Right? And so when we don't address it, and this is the next part, it breeds, 
contempt breeds anger. And what Jesus is talking about here in verse 25, settle the matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. So you've done something wrong, obviously. And the adversary is saying, I'm suing you and I'm taking you to court. He's like, whoa, 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 Paul, I'm sorry. Okay, what, can we figure this out? Can we figure out a payment plan? Because whatever the, the situation, especially back then was, if I can figure, figure the situation out with you, I will give you $5 a day for the next, you know, 18 months to figure pay this debt or do whatever. I'm sorry, can we figure this out? Because once the law got involved, you would get your rear end thrown in jail. And you know what? It's really hard to earn money when you're in jail. I don't know if you know that. Especially in ancient times. That means your whole family had to work to leverage and sacrifice to get money to pay the debt off so that you could get your rear end out of jail. This is not a good situation. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, instead of waiting until you might win the court case, just go and own up and say, I'm sorry. And a lot of us need to step into that in different issues and different stuff in our life. Just own up to it. Say, I'm sorry. And you know what? If you start doing stuff like that, you will look really, really, really weird to the people in your sphere of influence. People don't do this, right? People don't say, you know what? I'm sorry, Kim. I shot my mouth off and uh, I apologize. People, people don't do that in our, in our culture. What does it look like when we, this is an easy way to be salt and light in the world, to add flavor and to bring brightness into people's lives. To say, oh, you know what, I'm going to be the guy that owns up and says, you know what, I didn't do good there. You know where this is hardest for me is for my children. This is really hard when Bowen or Kendall does something dumb and I, or I do something dumb to them and I got to walk in their room and be like, yeah, yeah sorry, Bowen. You know, that's, that's tough. But what kind of example am I setting if I don't do that? Daddy's right and he loses his temper and it's okay. No, I don't want ever to set that, temp- that example. So instead, I got to go in there and be like, dude, uh, my bad. <laughs> so those are awkward conversations. Or those times like when you punish one of them and it was the other one's fault. Oh, that's really bad. Uh, so, but you just got to own it and say, I'm sorry. Dad messes up sometimes, but I guarantee you this, I'm trying to be the best dad I possibly can be. And sometimes that's going to look messy and I'm, I'm going to fail. But I love you and I hope you can forgive me. And I've had to do that about three or four times because I just knew I missed the boat. And maybe because we don't want for contempt to settle in with our kids or with the people around us. So what do I do with this? I think we look at how our life looks. Are we releasing a bunch of energy? Are we making a mess around us? Are we making our hearts harder? I think we can be free with our forgiveness. I think we can be free with letting go and only holding on to the things that are truly important. Because whether or not, you know, why I get mad at traffic is because it might make me late to something that probably doesn't matter. And usually it was because I didn't get my stuff done ready fast enough to get out the door at the appropriate time. And so other people are inconveniencing me. And so therefore, I, those, all those things are controllable in other ways. All those things are stuff that, that I'm building fake uh, issues for myself. And I just need to let that go. This is not important. If I wasn't ready to get out of, out of the door at the right time, apparently this thing wasn't that important to me in the first place. That's just one simple little thing. But I hope you can take it and extrapolate it to other aspects of your life. Find out what you're controlling and what those issues 
are eating you up because it leads to hell when you can't control it. When you blow up, when you lose your temper, it leads to the fires of hell. Think about the aspects of other issues that I need to address or the issues I need to step into or the issues I need to say, you know what, I'm sorry for that. Or, hey, we're okay. You, I don't, you might be thinking I'm mad at you. I'm not mad at you. It's gone. I forgave you. It's cool. Don't worry about it. When you step into to stuff like that, you start to release this control that anger can hand over your life. If you're in a place right now that uh, you're struggling with, with anger, I want you to pray with me. Maybe if you're not in a place and you know anger will be in a, in a place in the future, I want you to pray with me. God, I don't want to be angry anymore. Lord, right now, I want you to give you the stuff, give you the things that I've been trying to control. God, it's so hard not to fly off the handle. So, God, I just ask for your peace in my life. I ask you for your patience in my life. Lord, I I pray for your eyes and your discernment to see the things that are causing problems for me. Lord, I, I pray for your eyes and your, and your prompting to know the things that I need to forgive for the things I need to let go. For the people I need to just say I'm sorry to. And so, Lord, right now as I deal with the control issues, as I deal with this stuff, as I deal with um, all of those, I want to do something that's really hard for me. I want to give you, God, control of my life. And, Lord, right now in this moment, in this place, I want to give you control over my tongue. That the words of my mouth will be your words and not mine. I want to give you control over my attitude, that my attitude would be based on you and not on my whims and not my self-esteem and not all the stuff that's going on with me, but on how you see me as a child of God. Now, right now, I want to give you control over every aspect of my life. Because when I seize control... I fall into a dark place. So, Lord, right now, if you just ask you to take my heart, take my mind, take my very soul, remake me into your creation, into who you want me to be. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.